So, Rachel? Yeah? Following a meeting with a fellow captain, the strange behavior of high-ranking officers leads Captain Picard and the crew of the Enterprise to uncover a conspiracy. Mm. What do you think you're going to get? Well, I've had a few tip-offs that stern auditor guy is coming back from coming of age. Uh So I think the conspiracy is going to involve him, a bunch of Commodores. I'm using the collective noun, a corruption of Commodores. (laughs) are taking bribes to let the Romulans do a bunch of dodgy stuff and I will get to play my new Prime Directive song. Oh, okay. Those are my guesses. We'll see. Rachel watches Star Trek. First officer's log. Stardate 417.75.5. We are en route to the ocean world of Pacifica. While our mission is scientific in nature, we look forward to the warm blue waters and fine beaches that make Pacifica a jewel of the galaxy. Welcome to Rachel Watches Star Trek. I'm Rachel Lackey. And I am Chris Lackey. And joining us again back by popular demand in this house and beyond, it's little Greggy Johnson. Yay! Welcome aboard, Greg. Hello, old friends. <laughs> Hello. Why, it's Craig and Raquel. <laughs> How long has it been since we last met? Oh, oh, this is the way it's going, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know, but I'm human. Remember when you got married to your beautiful wife, Christuna? <laughs> yeah, yes, I mean, you don't have a brother. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead. <laughs> the writer of this episode is Tracy Torme, back again. Two interesting facts about Tracy Torme. The son of Mel Torme, the um, the brilliant uh, singer. singer, the crooner. Yeah. Oh, I've never heard of them. Nightingale sang in Berkeley Square. The Torme family, talented bunch. Also wrote Sliders, I think, but that's another podcast. Wow. <laughs> and Torme is adapting a story by Robert Sabaroff. So we enter the scene on the bridge partway through a sex joke that Geordie is telling. I presume it's about some elaborate positions. And it's so funny, he's making himself laugh yeah. with the... I love futuristic humour. I love sci-fi. <laughs> Try that in hyperspace. I don't know, maybe the quality of humour goes a bit down over the next three centuries. But the well, joke, of course, is that Data is trying to analyse it and then he starts to try and laugh. I'd be interested to do with some sort of poll. <laughs> As fans, how do people feel about Data laughing? Because I think it's haunting. <laughs> um, yes. And I guess it's meant to be. I mean, in, in, at least in this one, he does actually sort of suck all the air out of the room. Yeah. But um, there are there are a few occasions where he gets emotions, and um, we like him emotionless. We do yeah. more so than he is for most of season one. <laughs> what options shall we give in the poll then? Is it a haunting, endearing? I mean, funny. I, I mean, I think as data, particularly this app, you realise how much he's comic relief, isn't he? He's sort of a yeah. C-3PO. Yeah, yes. Yes. They go to him for the comedy, but actually, I think he's more like the heart of the show. He oh, can yeah. be a very touching and endearing character. Yeah. Is Data laughing funny? Yes, no. Let's make it a binary (laughs) poll. Well, the actors do the best they can. It's time we'll never get back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we found out a few important things. Worf doesn't bathe. Yes. Data doesn't understand the phrase moonlight swim. Yeah. It's a pretty hard case of the season one not quite right. (laughs) (laughs) It sure is. Minding his own business and sleeping, Picard gets FaceTimed by Walker Keel. That's so uncool. Video. Right <laughs> Video. into your bedroom. In his bedroom. He could have been doing anything oh, in there. Indeed. Captain Walker Keel is an old friend of Picard's who is the captain of the USS Horatio. He's giving him a Code 47 emergency message, which will not be recorded. But Keel still doesn't trust it. He wants to go face to face 
and an abandoned mining colony with Picard. Whoa. Mm, old Mad-Eyes Walker. Yeah. <laughs> He's good, isn't he? You see, the reason I went so hard on that opening scene is because I pretty much love the rest of the episode, and I'm, I've got to milk it for something. <laughs> Do you? But, yeah, I'm in the afterglow. <laughs> <laughs> Still. Maybe because the last episode of TNG I saw was the one with the binars. So, um, yeah, Mad-Eyes Walker. I love the way he says Jean-Luc, <laughs> like he says it properly. I was just thinking, don't trust anyone. It's such a good gripper trust no one. Yeah. yeah. It's a hook. Oh, what's that? So Picard orders Helm to travel there immediately to this mining colony with no record of the change and don't tell Pacifica that they're taking this little detour. That's mean. They're down there folding towels into swans and they're not even giving any notice <laughs> that they're ditching. <laughs> I wonder if the residents of the planet Pacifica resent the sort of very Earth-based name they've been given. <laughs> Atlantium. <laughs> well, it could no. be that they are colonists, so there was no intelligent life there, so they named it. According to them. Thing. We've got an answer for everything. Or their language, if they're aliens, their language may be impronounceable to humans, so yes. like the name could be... And then they're like, well, we'll just call it Pacifica, because that's, yeah. that's easier on us. It's a scary conspiracy, so they have to talk about it on a scary planet. <laughs> yes. Of course, yeah. Which reminds me of the one Bev and Picard were trapped at. With killer weapons. Yes, on that they had a soundstage, didn't they, that they christened Planet Hell? Do you know oh. about that? No. It, no. it was this one soundstage where they had all their sort of location set. So whether it was a jungle or a desert or, or a cave, in this case a mine, uh -huh. um, it was just always full of dust and smoke and steam and fire and so that it was it was rather like working in a smithy or down a mine or something so that this, oh, this soundstage had a big sign that it said planet hell oh goodness that's how much they enjoyed these these location <laughs> in inverted covers uh, shoots they do a lot more location shooting later in the series mm. yeah maybe the, Most the outside got stuff is not on another planet they just go out to location so vasquez Aww. rocks would have been nice yeah. yeah, I do enjoy me a polystyrene rock, though. <laughs> Meet me on the spikiest planet you can find and bring yeah. a red light, because this is some scary stuff we're going to talk about. <laughs> so Picard beams to Ditalics B to find Walker and two other captains there, Trilus Scott and Ricks, and they're both holding phasers on him. Hmm. Thanks a lot, old friend. Mm. Tell me, Jean-Luc, where did we first meet? Answer the question. Tau Seti III. It's a bar. Quite an exotic one, as I remember. What do I win? Do you recall the night you introduced Jack Crusher to Beverly? You know full well that I hadn't met Beverly then. You introduced them. My brother introduced them. You don't have a brother. Two sisters, Anne and Melissa. What the hell is all this about? Apologies, Captain. We had to be sure you were really you. Oh, man, it's a good job he's got a good memory. I'd be phased <laughs> by now. <laughs> yeah. If I remember people's siblings' names. <laughs> yeah. I think Chris has a brother, but I mean, don't don't point a gun at me. And, and if my life depended on it, I'd be I'd be vaporized pretty quick. You're pretty his quick. best friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't really, but uh, there could be a yeah. sister in there too. I don't know. They tell him about their suspicions of a conspiracy reaching up to the highest levels of Starfleet command. Picard is grumpy; they don't have the answers, but they cite plenty of dodgy orders and accidental deaths. People seem to be changing somehow, including Keel's first officer and chief medical officer. The clue is loss of long-term memories. So keep your eyes open, Picard, and watch your back. It's so grabby to me. I think, mm. I mean, you've watched, obviously, season one in chronological order, but to me, 
it feels like a, a new tone. This kind yeah. of yeah. foreboding, inexplicable orders, mysterious accidents. It's Starfleet itself being like unstable or sinister. Mm-hmm. That's it's very a genuinely new. new thing. It's a bit of X Files kind of creeping in. Yeah. And they're trying something which, as I say to me, I sort of remembered as being as a less successful experiment, but actually. I was gripped. <laughs> Especially since they foreshadowed it a few episodes ago. We've had loads of terrible higher-ups throughout the original series and this, but they have never challenged the competency or the uh, corruption of Starfleet. So yeah, that's, it's delicious. Yes, there's been lots of rogue, dodgy male admirals. And mm-hmm. Commodores. The more gold they have on their shoulders, <laughs> uh, the more likely they are to be yes. completely evil. <laughs> it's at the heart of Starfleet, so Starfleet could yeah. crumble and... It's, yeah, I just, oh, I just like it. I think it's good. An existential yeah. threat. I'm looking mm. forward to seeing how it plays out throughout the seasons. Ooh. So, <laughs> back on the ship, Picard consults Troy. He's willing to do anything for the love of his old BFF, even violate Starfleet regulations. But Troy's not keen. She just hasn't had the kind of friends Picard's had. He's so <laughs> sure of them, isn't he? <laughs> I wouldn't do that for anybody. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Cold as ice. God. For an empath. <laughs> Well, I was a little annoyed by the lack of Troy being used in this episode. Oh, of course. Because I think basically all we get out of her is, I sense some deception. But, <laughs> but I, don't I don't know, know which what. one. And I don't what? know which one. Yeah. I mean, I wrote down vague vibes from Deanna, just enough for mystery, never enough to be helpful. Yeah. And then she's <laughs> shuffled <laughs> off somewhere else the rest of the episode. Yeah. I guess that's even why it's empath, because if she was simply a telepath or psychic... You would write yourself into so many corners because it's yeah. just, are they lying? Yes. Oh, yeah. uh, okay. So it has to be just very intuitive. There are other Betazoids in Starfleet and they're actually full-on mind readers. Oh. Yeah, so she's not even a very good one. She can't read minds, but other Betazoids can read minds. Oh, do you think someone owes her a favour or something? <laughs> or they're just <laughs> being nice to Elena of <laughs> that position? No, I'm sure she's a really good therapist. I'm, I'm just saying that it would be hard to have a conspiracy based on deception when there are people out there that can read your mind. Oh, good point. It's a telepathic universe out yeah. there in, in, in the right. universe that the writers have written. You'd need some sort of conspiracy where the person doesn't know that, that sort of a Manchurian candidate thing where you yes. don't know mm. that you're lying and then you can right. just be activated in some way or yeah. something like that. But I bet she's not a good therapist, by the way. <laughs> You're saying, I think my main problem is... No, it's not. Keep trying. <laughs> really, I'm just scared of... No, you're not. <laughs> I thought she did great with the oil slick the other day. <laughs> yeah. She knew what his uh, deal was. Yeah, that was a baddie who could be defeated with understanding, which is, yeah. is rare, unfortunately. It's <laughs> not yeah. the, the weekly main problem. Picard assigns data to review Starfleet directives over the past six months. Oh, he's very pleased about that assignment. As pleased as an emotionless android can be anyway. (laughs) He's been programmed with curiosity, I guess, as his only emotion impulse. Yeah. I think it's definitely an emotion because it's, um, I will feel better or I will feel pleased or satisfied or whatever if I get new information. So, I mean, he's he's smiling his his, his white his white bum off. <laughs> He's smiling away to himself, and he talks to himself. I thought that was quite cute. But, yeah, uh, yeah, smiling his white bum off. They are heading to Pacifica again, but detect a disturbance nearby. Pieces of metal are floating, exploded. It is the USS Horatio. It has been destroyed again. That is Walker Keel's ship. Ooh, love it. Love turning up to a ship and its wreckage. I just, ah, uh, it's another mystery. I just, I'm going to enthuse about this episode far too much. Why there are no bodies in the flotsam 
Oh, uh, Wolf's yeah. debut single, by the way. <laughs> bodies in the flotsam. <laughs> bodies in the flotsam. Uh, why there are no bodies in the flotsam, I have no idea, and that is never explained. Purely no. maybe because the wreckage would look a bit too R-rated. Maybe what happened in the explosion was so hot that it, it vaporized any organic matter. Mm. Ah, maybe. Yeah. I'm just throwing that out there. That could yeah. work. One thing, though, that I, we're kind of skipping over here is when Beverly comes up and hears about Walker Keel, she is like <sighs> She's so dripping. thirsty. It's unbelievable. <laughs> She's like, oh, did you see him? He was here. Walker Keel was here. Oh, let me rub it all over myself. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'd love I didn't to have to seen see him. him. I know. <laughs> you can see me, Beverly. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. <laughs> She's had to give up on that. But I'm I'm glad we got back to that that moment because I my notes in, in capitals I put lying to Bev things are desperate. <laughs> <laughs> Jean Luc lies to Beverly. <gasps> but again, Why? it is actually good writing because they you can tell they realised he talks about the three of them being very close friends. Right. And I like to think it was actually Gates McFadden who said, "Can I have a line where I acknowledge that fact?" And, yeah. And then yeah, and then Jean Luc lies to her about it. I thought, good, it's good drama. Yeah, because it's a crew we're used to being quite close by now, and mm-hmm. they're all sort of lying to each other. They don't know what John Luke knows. He's lying to Bev. It yeah. gets internal. But it is willy nilly because he is quite sloppy with mm. his. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, he's not a good liar. Yeah, with his privacy of all this messages. But it does up the stakes, doesn't it? When we see that exploded ship, and we think, "Whoa!" Have all the people who told him what's up now been killed, and he's the only one who knows? Yeah. There are two other captains that he met with. Yeah, but we don't know if their ships have been blown up as well. We At don't. that point, At I that thought point, maybe. We don't. Yeah. yeah. And of course, we, we don't know. They haven't been tested. But he never asks them anything about yeah. oh, right, yeah. who, who are you and, and, you know, who's your brother? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what are your sisters called? They could be anybody. Yeah. So Picard brings Riker in on it, connecting it to the shenanigans six episodes ago in Coming of Age. Data reports during the past six months, there've been lots of shuffling around of command level people on some of the star bases, all involving lots of contact with the highest levels of command. Data hypothesizes it's a hostile attempt to control important sectors of Federation territory. They ditch shore leave and head for Earth. In orbit of Earth, they are eventually contacted by three admirals, including Admiral Quinn, which is kind of interesting because they're there for a while and nobody contacts them. And they're like, why is nobody contacting us? This is kind of yeah. weird. You guys will know. Is, is this the first time they've been to Earth? It is. Because Picard makes the point of saying it's very rare for a starship to mm. go to Earth. So it has that ominous feeling of, oh, this is mm. new. Yeah. But that approaching Earth, but with ominous and foreboding music. Mm. If it is, what an interesting first introduction to Earth. is this kind of dun-dun-dun music. In Next Gen, oh, right, yeah. it's the first time they come to Earth. Yeah. But in the movies, they went to Earth a bunch. But in Next Gen, it's under the veil of corruption that they go and who yeah. is who they say they are. Yeah. So, and the governor of Pacifica has already dobbed them in and told them, weirdly, that they're not coming for shore leave. Explain yourself, Captain. Why have you returned to Earth? I would rather discuss that in person, Admiral. Excuse us for one moment, Captain. They seem normal enough. On the surface. Counselor, any thoughts? Hard to say. Someone is hiding something, but I can't tell who or what. I must say I'm not overjoyed to see Remick again. Considering what we've done, the response has been pretty temperate. I don't like it. You can't trust them. Mm. Oh, yeah. Can't He's trust right. Them. It's dodgy. They invite Picard and Riker to dinner. Remick is hanging around there as well. 
Quinn can't attend for some reason, and he says he wants to come up and see the Enterprise D again. And they say, yeah, sure, come on up. <laughs> Dodgy. Before he prepares to beam, he's got a briefcase that has a little <laughs> creature in there, which looks a lot like the, the City Alpha 5 creature. Yes. Oh, from Rathacon. From Rathacon. It looks a lot like Smaller. it. Smaller. It's about... Pincery. Oh, well, the big one, the mommy one. Oh, right. Remember, the little baby ones are the ones they put in people's ears. Ooh, but they're just eels. They're just... Yeah, I think similar planet. They're cut from the same weird, weird <laughs> yeah. cloth. Oh. Sure. I like his unsubtle, the enormous box he chooses to carry it in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when he puts it down with a lid, I thought, is this a box of chocolates? But he opens it and it's like, nope, lobster in a briefcase. <laughs> it's a space briefcase. Yeah. Isn't this creature the kind of thing a transporter would detect? Two life forms beaming in. Ooh. Yeah. Interesting. Be a good feature, that one. It would be a good feature. Mm. Transporters yeah. are like Diana. What they're capable of is extremely <laughs> versatile. <laughs> versatile. <laughs> the needs of the narrative. <laughs> On board, Quinn is as dodgy as all get out, and Troy is nowhere to be seen. Of course. He feels better than he ever has, a la Trump. <laughs> <laughs> or at least someone's drugged him or he's possessed, clearly. Surely Picard will carefully work out whether Quinn is really himself or not. No, it doesn't even ask if he remembers Riker's name, just introduces him. Welcome aboard, Greg. Good to see you. You remember Commander Riker? Hello again, Commander. I must say, you're looking remarkably well. Never felt better in my life. When you were here last, you were saying that you were feeling tired. Tired of life I was, but not anymore. I'm ready for new challenges now. What about another look at the ship? Welcome aboard, Greg. New ringtone for me. Oh, well, yeah. Here's my idea of this same script, and it only took me two seconds to come up with. Will you read it with me, Chris? It's okay, Greg wait, can't am, see am it. I Picard or am I Queen? Yeah, you'd be Picard then. Okay. Good to see you. You remember Commander Stryker? Hello again, Commander. I must say, your haircut looks the same as it did at the Academy. I suppose it does. When you were here last, you were saying that your dog was ill. Indeed, it's better now. Gotcha! You had a buzz cut at the academy and you've never had a dog. That's in two seconds they could have achieved that. Yeah. You can't grill him too much. Like Riker he'd probably have because he'd have read all the logs. But yeah, there's got to be something. Here's what I think about Rachel's comment is genius is because it... Well, (laughs) I'll take that. It wouldn't derail the plot and the structure of the episode. If they're suspicious and they know he is not who he's pretending to be, they could just play along. And things would actually kind of mm. go the way that they end up going in the rest of the episode. Yeah, they've noticed Just, he's not him, exactly. but it they would, don't let him. They're actually being competent. I love that in Star Trek when they're when they're really good at what they're supposed to be doing. They're playing the player at that point. But it would derail the episode because this is how Quinn finds out Picard knows. But you see, this is what's so interesting to, to me is because we obviously, we respond very <laughs> differently to this scene. <laughs> Because I absolutely agree with you. The frustration is when characters who are supposed to be very intelligent or competent um, are fooled Mm, by something for too long. This scene ends with Picard saying, that's not Gregory Quinn. And I was so pleased that, like, oh, they figured it out quickly. It's like one scene, don't have a person acting really weird with a big purple spike sticking out the back of his neck and nobody noticed. (laughs) (laughs) Which could be an entire episode, but it's one chat, whatever that chat is, and then Jean-Luc says, that's not him. And I I really love that. I thought that was quite quick. I forgot about that. Yeah, but that's after he's told him what he knows. Yes, true. I I forgot that Picard says that right after Quinn goes away. So it's enough of a chat that he, he, he can turn to Riker and just immediately say, that's not Gregory Quinn. Right. So they're keeping an eye on him. But yeah, not not much of an eye on him. They're not letting him wander really. around. And so it's... <laughs> hmm. I wonder if this is one of Picard's character flaws, that he trusts old friends and he can't see past that. 
but he's not trusting him at this point. They don't want them to know they're onto them. So mm. they, they want to keep it cool and not do anything that's going to tip their hand. They do show that they know. He asks him directly about the conspiracy. Not at this point. He does. No, he knows about the conspiracy, but he doesn't know that he's in on the conspiracy. He's letting Quinn think that he doesn't know Quinn is part of the conspiracy. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But they don't why want did him Picard... to know that they know that Quinn is part of the conspiracy. <laughs> yeah, <so> knotted up. <laughs> if you're making sort of Picard excuses, you can definitely say that he is pretending to do the unwise thing which is someone tells you there's a huge conspiracy at the very upper echelons of Starfleet. So you go straight to those echelons and say, hey, I've heard there's a conspiracy. Is that real or not? Are you, are you an alien monster or what's going on? <laughs> um, but he, he could be playing the dumb card. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so it's sort of, you can fool us and get us in on it because we don't really believe it's true because we've come to you and told you about it. Right. Yeah. Right. I'd like to think you're right on that. Well, what else could he have done? <laughs> That's what I would say. I, I think Picard's doing the smart thing here because they don't understand what the conspiracy is, who's being replaced by what. So if he just gets in there and kind of stirs the pot a bit, then he's going to be able to see, you know, what skitters away. Yes. I've just mixed some metaphors <laughs> there, but... <It's> terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> so they let Quinn roam around the ship telling Riker to observe him while Picard goes to dinner alone or you could get anyone else to observe him and have Riker come down with Picard. Anyone. Yeah. Worf? Story. Again, maybe it's leaving Riker behind because he's a good backup for what, if it all goes wrong. In the same way that he goes down to the uh, the, the spooky planet on his own. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's thinking, well, I'll go down on my own and then, then second in command is in command when I get... Um, Oh, lobster put in my mouth. Right, yeah. 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 Not to put Maybe. them both in danger. Right. Yeah, fair. <laughs> True. <laughs> I'm the apologist for this show. I'm coming as like the defense I'm glad we've it. got defense one. attorney. I love this it. Is good. My client is a well written episode. <laughs> some crazy effects at the end. <laughs> he asked Riker to make some kind of medical arrangement to have Dr. Crusher look at Quinn, like make something up. Some reason why he's got to. And Riker's looked at him like, what What the hell? He's an admiral. What am I going to do to get him to get a medical procedure? <laughs> admiral, you look like crap. <laughs> I just said I felt better than ever. <laughs> Picard beams down and he meets with Rear Admiral Savar, who's a Vulcan, uh, Vice Admiral Aaron, and Dexter Remick. Again, we've got Remick. For some reason, Remick is acting as a butler. butler. This whole scene. He's a commander. Yeah, he's bringing the tea. You get an enlisted guy to be bringing tea and stuff. Yeah. I don't understand why. Well, obviously. You do know why. We do know why. <laughs> In his quarters, Quinn shows Riker the creature, referring to it as a superior form of life. When Riker says he'll get the science officer to examine it, Quinn grabs his arm. It won't like your science officer. It does like you. Vitamins. They do wonders for the body. I love this. I, cause you, I love um, a baddie alien who has emotions. Like, all the way through, I like the fact that once you're possessed, you're not an automaton. You're a kind of slightly arrogant, yeah. fun-loving, <laughs> like, oh, this just feels great. Yeah. And, and slightly sarcastic, sort of smiley. Really strong. It's a good baddie. Yeah. yeah. Emotional. Yeah. They have a sense of humour. And mm. the, a sense of theater is what they, they do say. <laughs> of course. A ridiculous sense of theater, but... It's so rad to have an old guy doing sweeping high kicks to the face. Yeah. <laughs> Catching someone's fist. There is you know? that Riker? Both, no. both, of, <laughs> both of them do kicks, and you don't see kicks in fight scenes very often. Great. Yeah, and, and definitely Jonathan Frakes, he does one. He jumps over that table himself, 
you know, I don't want to spoil the magic for anyone, but there are some shots where it's maybe not the two <laughs> lead actors. I just suspend my disbelief all the time. <laughs> Whether this is some 4K Blu-ray, but yeah. hot damn. <laughs> I've written old man fighting good, stunt doubles bad. <laughs> but yes, old guy suddenly being able to fight and being very strong. Yes. It's good. It's a lovely plot point. It's just a bit too high res. We've had a lot of sort of old person bashing in Star Trek. Not bashing, but just about how weak they are and how unfortunate it is yeah. to be losing old. all your faculties. So it's just really great to see him kicking ass. <laughs> yeah, the themes of the show, whatever it's preoccupied with, will tell you kind of who's in charge at that time. Oh. Yeah. And I, I think early on, I think Gene was quite preoccupied with uh, with ageing. Mm. I guess mortality, but that tends to come across as as ageing and sort of this reflective late middle age thematic storylines, mm. I think, mm. are quite common yeah. when older people are in charge. So uh, Riker, unfortunately, gets his ass handed to him and thrown into a glass table and knocked unconscious. As usual. This is the fourth or fifth time he's been rendered unconscious in as many episodes. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So Worf and LaForge arrive at the quarters. Quinn throws LaForge through the door. <laughs> I was going to say, this, is, this was always going to end in a fight because he fell over and hit his head. It's not a great cover story for someone who's already radioed for a security emergency. <laughs> yeah. It's like, get someone down here. I'm, I'm about to fall through a coffee table. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, he just fell over and hit his head. That's why he um, then woke up briefly, radioed for help, and then passed out again. Oh, fair enough. Now, this is the part for me where the writing of this falls apart. Because what the hell is this alien doing? Like, how is this going to help him in his conspiracy? He's yes. got he's got one alien to implant into somebody. Right. But he's mm -hmm. he's openly beating the crap out of Jordy and Worf. So if he plans yeah. on killing them, because they're witnesses now to this, if he plans on killing them, then how's he gonna get away with killing them? And it does Absolutely. say later the creature was meant for Bev, so yeah. why didn't he just go and ask for a medical yeah. and then put it in her? Yeah, that's true. Why was he avoiding Bev? Very, very good point. He could have immediately gone, yeah, I'm not feeling well. I'd like to talk to Beverly. And then he goes yeah, in and talks. Yeah, but we wouldn't have got some foo. But I, no, I love the foo. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But from a yeah. story standpoint, the, the behavior of the alien invasion force is ridiculous. Yeah. Like everything they do from this point on doesn't make a lick of sense. They've done all this cover up and now this. I suspect that's why the thing we just praised, because they're kind of an emotional, slightly gleeful alien race, <laughs> I suspect that may be because they were talking about the motivation of, okay, so why do I do this? Why do I kick Geordie through some polystyrene doors? Like, why do I now want to fight Worf when up till now I've been keeping who I am a secret? Yeah. So it's like, oh, you just, um, these aliens are a bit stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They're kind of warmongering guys who just love a fight and just can't yeah. resist one. But you, you, you are absolutely right. They wouldn't have gotten this far if they were this stupid. It, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, it's dramatic and it's fun and I enjoy it on that level. But once yeah. I started to think about it, it got annoying to me. Yeah, and I think it's very much like if you watch a murder mystery like a Columbo, although that's one of the best, maybe a murder, murder she wrote. Um, <laughs> you, you can look at the clock and if it's five or ten minutes before the end, yeah. the murderer will for some reason confess. And it's it's there are so many crime shows where... Just because the detective presents their evidence to you doesn't mean you have to break down and say, yes, I did it, and I'd do it again, see? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's just, yeah, okay, at this point in the plot, we need to know, everyone needs to know, so they confess. He just gets his little creature out. He's not trying to cover it up anymore, and the only reason is because it's ten minutes from the end of the episode. Right. Otherwise. But they could have done it in another way. They could have had it where... 
Bev comes in and she's got a scanner and she detects something's up with him and then they start to question him and then he realizes the jig is up and then he starts kicking everybody's ass. That would make much more sense. You know, like he just out of nowhere, it just seems really stupid. I mean, we could do an entire spin-off special episode. I mean, me and Chris have had this conversation several <laughs> times because we're dorks. But in in a world where the transporter exists, th- they yes. have a molecular map of this guy in yeah. their computers. Oh, yeah, they do. So <laughs> and you know, they know if he's got a slight sore throat. Never mind if he's got a sort of space lobster <laughs> yes. in, his, in his handbag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. It's true. And uh, one in his brain, by the way. Yeah, that too. Turns out. <laughs> so I was excited for Worf to unleash his anger and really go mm. for it this time. Which he does. Mm. But he gets beaten down. Yeah. It's a meeting of two people who enjoy fighting. Hmm. And you can tell Worf, he's like an attack dog. He wants license to have his muzzle taken off and just yeah. go for it. It's like, yeah. oh, I can really rip this guy to shreds. Yeah. Which is what I want to do all the time. Uh. But, uh, but no, it's not quite the Klingon smackdown you want, is it? No, <laughs> it's not. And unfortunately, it looks like we're out of time. We're going to have to wrap it up right now. Until next week, where we'll pick up on the conspiracy. I'd like to thank some patrons. Me too. Welcome, Lieutenant Christine McCarthy. Welcome, Ensign Richard. And congratulations on your promotions, Lieutenant Nils Hedgelin. And Lieutenant FB. Happy three-year anniversary with the crew to the following people. Oh, whoa. Matthew Sanborn-Smith. Dylan Winslow. Rafe Ball. Kevin Smith. Graham Everhart. Dan Pratt. Steve. And lots more anniversaries coming soon. Stand by in two weeks for the next episode. We are taking a week off because there are five Thursdays in October. And with that, I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Greg Johnson. If you like the cut of my jib, uh, check me out on Twitter. I'm Greg, G-R-E-I-G-A-R Johnson, at that. Or put Greg Johnson into YouTube. I've made tons of videos, some with Chris Lackey. That's right. And some audio stuff also starring Rachel. Of course, that's Quiet and Bold. And you can check that out on Bandcamp. Quiet and Bold, the audio adventures I did with Chris and Rachel. There's a comedy podcast I did with my wife called The Jettisons. All-time top three in space, where we pick the top three of various things. Harrison Ford films, crisps, breakfast cereals. Um, and we jettison all the rest into space. It's set on a spaceship. How very apropos. And with that, you've been listening to Rachel Watches Star Trek. Star Trek!